Hello and welcome to Actuarial People with myself, James Turner. I'm excited to be launching a brand new podcast where each week I'll be speaking with the UK actuary. My aim is to give you, the listener, greater insight into the people behind the profession and their personal career journeys. So we'll cover things like why and how they became an actuary, what they do on a day-to-day basis, how they balance work and study with life, any specialisms they've developed, and how their role has evolved over time. So whether you're an actuary yourself, or you're aspiring to become one in the future, welcome and enjoy. Welcome to Actuarial People, Matt Corrie. Hi, nice to meet you, James. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Very well, thanks. Yeah, we've got, if, if anyone hears any noises in the background, I've got a guy fixing our chimney and our three-year-old finished up at uh, playgroup at lunchtime, so he's watching Spider-Man. So if you hear anything, any noises, ignore them. Apart from that, I'm all good. And I live in a first floor flat, so uh, you'll have to just make sure that I haven't got anything going on around me as well. <laughs> uh, perfect. Well, thanks thanks so much. I think you got in touch with me, actually, um, having listened to a, to a couple of episodes and, and, and sort of volunteered to share your experience. So I'm very interested to uh, to get to know you. Um, I wondered if we could just begin with you giving a quick overview of who you are and what you do today, and then we'll go back to the beginning and, and work from there. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so I currently work at a company called Izio. I originally started at WCW and uh, spent a couple of years there before moving over in October of this year, uh, September of this year even now. Um, and I spent, yeah, the last three or so months with Izio working as an investment consultant so still on the actuarial side, but yeah, working in investments for pensions primarily, um, but also a bit of private wealth, which is something that was a bit unique for this role for me. Um, and then I have a bit of a specialism within uh, LDI, which has been, I guess, one of the big discussed topics over the last couple of years. So yeah, that's my current place. Fantastic. Well, um, I'll start where I always do, which is asking you if you can remember where you were or what you were doing when you first discovered that actuaries existed. So I guess... One of the things that maybe is a bit different to me and I guess a lot of uni students are seeing at the moment is I almost didn't look for an actuarial role at first. I almost fell into it and it became something that I kind of realized later on that I really enjoyed. So I studied at the University of Bristol. I studied an undergraduate in maths. And as a fair few people do when they're in their first or second years, I, I was applying for internships and I was applying for a fair few pretty broad range of things because as a second year uni student I didn't have a huge amount of knowledge of what I wanted to go into. I'd spent a couple of years working in a gym and those kind of things but never anything particularly professional. So I kind of applied for internships and was offered a role with WCW and that was basically when I first heard about what an actuary does. I applied for a few other roles um, with consultancies but ended up doing my internship there. So I did an well, what was supposed to be an eight-week internship in the middle of COVID um, and ended up being a four-week internship instead online. So I was really grateful that they still offered it when there were a few other companies closing down. I had a few friends who didn't manage to get them. Um, But that was where my interest, I guess, grew. And I managed to figure out what an actuary did and how how they worked and what they did day to day. And yeah, I've not looked back since. So how did that come about? What's it like? Because I I didn't do an internship when I was at uni mm-hmm. I paid very little attention actually to to what I might do afterwards so how did WTW even come on your radar how did you come to apply to them 
So I think one of the things that was really helpful was those careers days that you get at university. We have a lot of employers come in and WSW, one of the ones who came in to speak to us. Um, they're a massive consultancy, so as you'd expect, and I believe you've spoken to a couple of WSW people already on the uh, podcast. So they do a massive range of things. Um, and their Bristol office primarily, where I was based, does uh, pension actuarial work. So that's how they first ended up my... I guess, radar, the actual process of getting into the internship and um, getting the role as a, well, 19-year-old I was at that point is really daunting and is probably one of the most challenging interviews I've done to date, I would suggest, solely because at that point I'd had little experience doing it and although the interviews now are more harder and technical for different roles, doing that first step and making that first leap into the actual world or into those kind of professions is a real challenge, I think. Um, mm. But the internship was amazing itself. And yeah, as I said, I was really grateful for them putting it on and carrying on with that and giving me that opportunity. What was it like doing an internship purely online? I guess it was strange, to be honest, because as an intern, you, you're you want to make a difference on the company, you want to learn, you want to get involved and make sure that you understand what it's what's going on. One of the things that you almost don't think about when you first do it is it is basically a two-way interview at that point once you're in the internship. I wanted to know what WSW were like and what they were like as a company and what the role was like. And they wanted to know what I was like as a person and how I got on with the team, how I did. So... When you're in person and sat with your, well, even now, when you're sat with people around you who you work with, when you're sat with your managers, I think it can be quite easy or almost easier to step into that role where here I can show off what I can do. I can make sure that I'm asking questions and understanding what's going on and how things are going. Whereas when you're online, it's almost, you almost have to take a step back and make that bit of extra effort where I'd have to pick up the phone to some colleagues and go, hi, I'm Matt, do you need me to do anything? Rather than if you're in the office, I could just pop over to a seat and go, I've got some free time. What, what do you do at the moment? What's going on? That kind of stuff. Mm. So I think it was a challenge from because originally it was supposed to be in person. So the change was a bit of a challenge, but they facilitated it really well, which was in my personal opinion, a massive surprise given it was a complete change for everyone. Yeah. So being able to still put on an internship and make that effort to do that is amazing. Um, but yeah, it's, it was a really rewarding experience and obviously has played out pretty well for me considering where I am now. Yeah. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And I was, I was looking at LinkedIn, so it, it seems as though you went, you obviously completed uni, but then your first job wasn't straight back to WTW, you did something else in between. Yeah, so uh, in between my internship and starting my graduate role at WCW, I was uh, doing a master's. So that was part of that year, um, I guess, in the middle of COVID. So I guess one of the things that isn't particularly done or doesn't particularly lend itself to my current career was I did a master's in cybersecurity, okay. um, which was a slight change from what I'd been doing before. <laughs> um, and that I think was, I'm really grateful for. I spent a lot of time coding and uh, looking at complicated problems that 
in in no way, shape, or form I would have had the opportunity to do if I'd not done that. Yeah. And I think that's really benefited me. And we can talk about how um, doing a degree in the actuarial sciences and that way is a great route into the actuarial profession. And if you know you want to be an actuary, I'd highly recommend it. But I think my opportunity of going through a different route and doing something that was, I guess, slightly unique and slightly different to what most people do every day has really benefited me and given me some of those problem solving skills that I guess I needed when I joined the profession, um, but might not have had otherwise. So yeah, that was, I guess, one part of it. The other part, which I think you're more hinting at was my uh, role with Nationwide. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they're linked because that was that was sort of fraud, fraud analysts. So what, why cybersecurity? Was it because of your experience in that area? Or was it just following an interest? Or It was more following an interest, I think, is the direction of it. I did my undergraduate in maths um, and the cybersecurity masters was in mathematics, was based in the um, school of maths. So it was mm-hmm. still primarily grounded in maths. Um, and without sounding too harsh towards a maths degree, I couldn't put myself through another year of solely maths. <laughs> um based lectures i i loved it and i still have a passion for it but i think going to another analysis lecture for any uh for any current study students listening to this i don't think i personally could have gone through and cybersecurity gave me a different i guess flavor and um opportunities to do something slightly unique and slightly different and it panned out really well i spent a lot of time as i said coding and that's something that does help me now, definitely. Yeah, I think I think it's a good thing to do. I I think when I think back to uni, I just you know I was, I was better at sort of maths and science, and you just follow that through, not really thinking much more. But if I was, I don't know if I would change, but if I did, I would just pick something that I'm interested in and just enjoy it and learn something that I actually want to learn rather than just what's put in front of me. Yeah. And I think I think you made a good choice. I, I think I think that's a great comment, really, because. And even in my career now, people have come from a massive range of backgrounds mm. and a massive variety of, well, university degrees, but also professions as well that they've come into the career from now. Yeah. So you're right. Pursuing something that you enjoy is a much more beneficial way of doing your university studies and getting a degree than primarily going for a maths degree just because you think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I perfectly agree with that so once you got your masters what was your mindset then obviously you had got a bit of experience in actuarial but were you still weighing up the options and thinking about different stuff hi guys we'll get straight back to the conversation in a second just a quick reminder that when i'm not recording podcasts i specialize in helping pensions actuaries with their career moves and i'd love to help you when the time comes to explore your options i work with people at all levels whether you have a couple of years experience through to senior positions My approach is different to most recruiters. I started my own business last year and work alone, which means I have zero pressure to hit targets and can just focus on giving the best possible help and advice. So whether you're thinking of making a move now or would just like to understand your options for the future, please get in touch via LinkedIn or email james at turnerperkins.com. Back to the show. So, yeah, I was, um, which wasn't something I'd kind of expected to do, I guess. I spent a lot of time doing data science within my cybersecurity role. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I looked at was a data science role um, and had a look around to see what interested me and what was my drivers, what 
I wanted to do with the rest of my career. And there's always the opportunity to change and move into different areas. But I think the actuarial profession definitely gave me the opportunity to look into things that I'd already done and definitely enjoyed while I was at WCW. And I had that grad offer to make sure that if I wanted that role and I'd had accepted it, that I could go and do that. So I had a little shop around and looked at other opportunities, but the actuarial career and the route through there definitely offered the best career personally for me. Um, I'm strongest when it comes to um, my technical skills and my math skills. So that was perfect in an actuarial space where I'm going to be sitting in exams for the next three years after uni- university or seven years after university. Yeah. Um, but also, I think one of the things that I guess differentiates the career with WCW to some of the other actual professions I could have gone into, and I guess some of the things that I didn't find when I looked at those data science roles was the consultancy side of things. It's a, I guess it's quite a challenge to find those kind of roles with the people that you'd meet through the consulting space in another line of work or another career that I could have gone into. Um, and that was definitely a massive driver for me and this kind of interaction and having these kind of skills and opportunities really does come from that. So what is it about consulting? Is it, as you say, the meeting people and connections or is it, do you just enjoy being in front of clients rather than, you know, purely doing the technical stuff? I think the second point's the one that really hits home for me. I like being in front of clients. And I like making sure that I can translate things to people that I'd need to present to rather than just you can get really bogged down in the maths of everything and dug deep into the technical aspects and at times that doesn't help at times you need to be looking at things from a high level and how does this impact you Mm -hmm. so when I looked at data science roles they were very technical and very focused on the coding and the math side of things and didn't feel like they were applicable almost they felt a bit of a step back and away from general applications and working day to day. So I really like that ability that I can bring something and it will make a difference to the pension scheme I'm working on or the private wealth client I'm working with and can actually solve some of their problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and that slightly takes me back to my original internships was a couple of the other roles that I applied for were business consultancies. So that's always been something that I've been interested in and being able to solve problems for those kind of people and in that kind of space is a big challenge, but incredibly rewarding and gives you a great opportunity to feel those results and see where your work has taken you. Yeah, you sort of touched on exams. Obviously, if you decide you're going to to enter the actuarial profession, then exams are going to be a a big part of it for, for most people. Was that an attraction or was that a negative or how, how did you feel about knowing you've got the study is not over do you want me to answer that retrospectively or how i feel now because they might be slightly different answers has it has it changed would your answers be different then versus now i think slightly yeah i guess coming from a universe coming straight out of university into the role you have the idea that exams are the same as what i've done at university the same as what i've done at a level and as I progress through those, I've been fine to get to this point in my career. So why shouldn't these exams be any different? So when I first joined the career, that was exactly how I felt. And probably exactly how a lot of people feel that these shouldn't be a huge challenge 
I should be able to get through them. And in all honesty, they are some of the toughest exams you will ever sit. I think they're great opportunities to learn things and some of the things you do in university and A-levels don't apply to the roles you pick up, but they really do. Whereas you can now kind of see where the roles, where the exams take you within your role and where you can actually apply those skills. So they are a challenge, but they're rewarding. And seeing that pass on your results day is an incredible feeling, as many have seen. Um, and I'm hoping to see a couple more sometime soon. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I, th I think they're a challenge and they always will be just to make sure that they are. But, yeah, it's definitely rewarding for them. What is it that makes them as difficult as they are? Is it just the subject matter or is it also an element of you've got to work as well as studying? So maybe it's a bit harder to, to put in this, the same amount of time as you would to pass a uni exam. I think your second point is probably the more difficult point um, and I'm sure there will be hundreds of experiences and people have different opinions on how this works. But I think having the challenge of working alongside studying, despite the amazing encouragement you get from companies and the help and support that you get from them, working alongside and managing that alongside having to study and revise close to the exams and do that exam prep is a big challenge for those within that space. Um, the people around you have gone through it and will know exactly what you're going through and therefore are incredibly supportive and know that on a Wednesday, if you're studying like I would be today, then you need that time to be able to do it. But again, that is definitely the biggest challenge and it's a big change from university. It is the biggest one I found that managing a work life, a social life, the gym and studies around everything is requires you to be really organized and really on top of things but it is doable and i mean i guess hundreds of people have proved that every year that you can qualify and you can get that sorted through those times um so i think that is the biggest challenge the subject matter itself is is a challenge as any new learning would be but there's enough support to be able to learn it and i think coming into the career you have the ability to be able to do it and that's what I've said to a lot of people that I've worked with and worked alongside is if you can do the work that you're doing day to day you can study the material and pass the exams as well it's more of that organizational side and making sure that you can do it alongside work that is the big challenge. So, so for anyone listening who's maybe not yet started their, their first actuarial job could you give them sort of a real clear picture of what what it looks like to actually balance study with work? You know, how, how many hours do you have to put in for an exam? How organised do you have to be? Um, people have different learning styles as well. So there'll be some people who just turn up to lectures, don't, don't do anything outside of it and just cram for a few weeks beforehand. There's others that, that have different approaches. But yeah, just, just any any insight you'd give to people to give them an idea of what it's actually like. Yeah, of course. I think that's a great question because there's resources out there. But I think it, for me, it was quite a challenge to find anything in depth about that when you first look into the actual career. So I agree, that's a great way of putting it. Um, so 
if we suggest a standard work week is 35 hours or so, you'd normally, and for most companies, would have a day off a week or a day off every other week to study for your exams. You'll have an allocation of study days and you'll take those during your uh, study blocks to make sure that you have time to study. So it's not all on you to study every evening or study at the weekends, which can often feel like or sound like it's that kind of pressure. So the, mm-hmm. so the main that's the main point. I guess outside of work and managing things alongside work, you do still have to study on top of that. And there is an expectation that you'd put in some work outside of your, what I would suggest are core working hours to make sure that you're on top of your grades. But you're right, there are different ways of doing it and cramming close to the exams has definitely been things I've seen. And then people who progress slowly through the papers throughout the year is also there. So it depends on how you learn best. But I think it is manageable. You're working a nine to five, say, every week, but you do have that day to study. And that is a significant contribution to the amount of time that you need for your exams. There's 13 exams and they vary in complexity and difficulty and how easy they are to grasp. So they'll vary in the amount of hours you need. But in general, that study day plus a few hours after work or an hour after work and a couple of hours at the weekend, I've always found throughout the block of study has been enough for me to get the results I wanted. And that doesn't allow for, I guess, the couple of weeks before where you are cramming and making sure that you're studying enough for the exams, but that comes with the territory and comes with any exam. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it's a challenge to organize, but if you are on top of things and organized, it is something that can be fit around your social life and the other parts of your life. And I have found that I've done that. So what does a typical study day look like? How do you actually use the hours? Because I don't know the answer to that. I'm, I'm curious. And um, is there any difference between what a study day looked like for you a couple of years ago versus how you spend the time today? Yeah, I think there is a difference to your initial and the first few exams. So there's, oh God, this is testing my knowledge now. There are uh, (laughs) 10 more junior exams than three senior exams. Um, So your first set of 10 exams are the more technical and the more, I guess, mathematical based exams. And those exams, you spend a lot of time going through materials, um, going through textbooks, reading up on topics that are um, going on in that space. And then the later exams, uh, so the SP and the SA exams, are more um, profession-based is what I'd propose them as. So um, they focus more on your day-to-day work and what kind of consulting topics there are and that kind of work. So those exams tend to be a lot more exam practice and exam technique, less so based on the technical aspects, although there are still technical aspects in there. And by the time you get to those exams, you will do them in the specialism that you are working in. And you often have a lot of the knowledge from the day-to-day work anyway, that you can build on that to be able to answer your questions and then answer the questions based on the exam technique that you are then taught or developed. Mm. So that's part of your, I guess, day-to-day and 
it's a suggestion and I do treat it as if it is a work day. So use it as a nine to five or 10 to six, however you best work, but use it properly to make sure you are actually utilizing that time and then not having to, as you suggested earlier, cram two weeks yeah. before the exams. Um, I guess the other side of that is there are also tutorials that go alongside it. So for any students that are listening, um, or anyone who's coming up to these exams, they are the kind of things that you'd get at university where you have tutors sat with you um, and go through material and questions. Um, and those will be either online now that we're post pandemic and uh, we have transitioned to that slightly, or there are in-person tutorials. Um, and I found those incredibly helpful and have been one of the best resources that I could have got for my exams personally. Fair enough. So, um, so let, let's talk about work a bit. So, when you started full time at WTW, can you remember your first few weeks and months, and what were they like? Yeah, they were uh, they were a change. Um, going from a university to a more professional role and an office job is a massive change, and I guess a lot of pressure. Um, but there. Are, and anywhere else would be they're an amazing company and do really help you settle in i think one of the nerves that you have at any change of job or um, any step into a grad role is i don't know what i'm doing and i there are processes in place that i'll have no idea what's going on yeah. and it's incredibly helpful for them and they're incredibly helpful to teach you and educate you on how things are done and um what what you need and what you need to know. In my first couple of weeks, I was assigned a buddy, um, so somebody who could answer the more stupid questions and the things that I wanted to ask to make sure that I knew what was going on that you wouldn't ask a senior or you wouldn't go and ask somebody who you weren't close to. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that really helped me and definitely allowed me to settle in and make sure I knew what was going on i knew how to access things and that those that first month or two where you are a bit nervous you do want to really make a good impression and set first impressions correctly that was i found really helpful and made it a lot more comfortable for me to settle in the work itself is it was a learning curve and is always a challenge to get up to speed but the amount of training that you're given and the support that you're given alongside definitely helps and you do feel you get up to speed really quickly. How long did it take you to start to get a sense of what it's all about, what you're actually there to do, the world of pensions, that sort of stuff? Obviously you had a bit of a taster for your internship, mm -hmm. but when did it start to come together? I don't think it has. I'm two and a half years into roles and I still don't think it has fully. But Fair enough. I, I'd say that it's at least a year probably. Because at times you can feel that you're doing things and at least when you're first doing them, you're unsure as to why you're actually delving into this topic or why you're doing this piece of work. And that can be a bit of a challenge to see the bigger picture. I think that's one of the things that I encourage some of the people I um, support now is to kind of grasp the bigger picture and look at why are we doing this rather than, so from a pensions perspective, why am I figuring out how much this person is owed to how does this look in the bigger pictures in the grand scheme of things with this um, client 
so yeah, it was definitely a while before I'd settled in and had a good view of the pensions industry. But it's as it always will be forever changing. So there'll always be new things for me to grasp and new topics for me to get used to. What was a good week? What was a fun week? What parts of the role were you? Did you enjoy the most? I really enjoy the consulting side of things. So pulling together papers for our trustee meetings or our corporate meetings um, and providing advice notes, those kind of projects was a really good week for me and I really enjoyed that. I got, I had a maths degree, so I always got into the technical aspects and I was able to do that. But those were the best weeks for me was when I got to get up in front of a corporate and present something or I got to talk to somebody about a certain topic and how this benefited them. The weeks where, the weeks that you love and the weeks you really enjoy are the ones where you see results, where I've done this piece of work and I can see the benefit it's had for this client. How long was it before you met your first client? I can still remember my first trustee, well, my first corporate meeting actually was the one that I had. Um, And that was about a year and a half before I properly presented to a client. Uh, I'd been to a couple of trustee meetings and sat in on calls to see what it was like and see how my uh, managers and partners presented to get a taste of it. But yeah, my first meeting was uh, sometime in early February this year, I think, would have been my first meeting. Um, And that was, as you'd imagine, probably one of the most nervous events of my life. Um, But I loved it. And it was a great opportunity to be able to meet someone and actually put forward the work that you'd done. Um, uh, You hear the joke every now and then of uh, my partner presents this, but I've done all the work in the background. But actually being able to see that in person and being able to go through that process is amazing and see how the client reacts and answer those questions on the spot of why have you done this or what impact does this have on us is a great feeling what did you feel beforehand were you quite nervous i mean you'd been to a few meetings in the in the background i guess but this was yeah this was doing it for real (laughs) i was nervous because i guess my presenting skills come from university where i'd got up and given talks about a certain topic or um, in my master's I defended my dissertation so I'd done things like that before but presenting to a corporate client who is a financial director in a company or someone senior is a completely different step change Um, so yeah I was really really nervous Um, but you've got people around you and people to support you you don't present alone so if there were times where I needed support, I could always fall back on them and say, I can't answer this. I don't know the answer off the top of my head, but this person can. So I felt really supportive in that, but yeah, definitely nervous. But you could answer some of the questions, even that, getting your first question and, and answering it when it actually means yeah. something to them. And that definitely settles your nerves, I think. Once, you, once you've got the first question out of the way, you might have presented for five minutes. Once you've answered your first question, I think your nerves kind of go then because you know that you can answer the questions that they're asking. So it like it, it feels fine at that point, I think. And then once you came back from that, do these meetings sort of, do they just come your way every now and again? Or, or once you get a taste for it and think, actually, that's something I want to do more of, do you then have to almost sort of push yourself, create situations where you can go to more of them? 
I think there's a bit of both. There's a, there's definitely an onus on you to say, to put your hand up and say, this is something I enjoy doing. This is something I really would like to get involved in um, and take that step towards that more consulting role and more presentational role. So there is a driver for you to own that and have the responsibility in any facet of your work and say, this is what I want to do. This is what I enjoy how do I do this? And that might be a conversation. And for me, it was a conversation with my manager to say, or the team, the client lead to say, look, I really enjoyed this. I might have looked nervous as hell beforehand, but I really enjoyed it. And I'd love to carry on doing it. But there are times, so for that role, especially, and that first presentation, I was presenting on some technical work that I'd been involved in and my client lead just knew that I knew what I was talking about and knew mm -hmm. that I'd have a better understanding of it than anyone else on the client team and that opportunity was just offered to me to be able to do it so there's it's a two-way street I think um, but definitely just put your hand up for it you've moved to investment consulting now so talk us through that decision and particularly sort of where that started what, what was it that made you start thinking well, actually, maybe maybe I should do something different. So my start in that direction, I guess, was actually an opportunity that came up at WCW. Um, so their um, one of their asset teams, um, what we what I'd call LDI in the industry. Some uh, so it's called Liability Driven Investments, and has been in the news quite a lot over the last couple of years. Um, I had the opportunity to step into one of their teams and provide some support with them. It is more of a technical role um, and, yeah, more of a technical role to step into. But that was where my first, I guess, sight of the roles and the things that I could do outside of that came from. And from there, I really enjoyed what I was doing and wanted more of it. And one of the challenges, I think, within the pensions industry, especially, um, but it's seen within insurers and the rest of the actual, actuarial industry, is there aren't a huge amount of companies outside of London. There are small bases and regional centers that are outside of London, but the actual opportunities within regional spaces can be a bit limited. And that was my driver, I guess, for the move from Towers, from WCW. I, the Bristol office is amazing, but they don't, their primary function is to support the pensions actuarial teams and to be those consultants. And getting into an asset-based role or an investment-based role was a real challenge within Bristol. And that's what prompted my move, I guess. You didn't fancy moving to, to London? Uh, I'd, I bought a, a flat in Bristol, uh, a couple of years ago. So it was the primary reason for my stay, but I moved here in God, what feels like ages ago, 2017 for a university and have just never wanted to leave. Um, yeah. the hustle and bustle of London's never taken my fancy particularly. <laughs> Fair enough. And, and, and why, why is he? I think the reason that Izio, so Izio came across my uh, my radar through recruitment um, and speaking to some recruiters. So that was where they initially came from. And then I think my real driver to move to Izio was there a smaller consultancy 
they've got some massive clients um, and have captured some great deals over the last couple of years. But they were a transition away from KPMG and therefore they could give me a bit more um, flexibility and less rigidity than a larger consultancy can sometimes restrict you to. There's a lot more opportunity for you to do things your own way and take those opportunities. And I think Izio could offer that for me. And that's how I felt at the time and how I still feel now. Um, I can remember doing my interview and I had a couple of online interviews as most people will now when they interview for places. Um, And I'm sure you've seen this with some of your clients, but I then went for my in-person, it was called a, it was called a conversation. It was an in-person <laughs> conversation. It was quoted. So it was less of an interview, but still a formal kind of process. Um, yeah. And I went to their, their offices and the people I spoke to and the team that I got to see just looked like a great fit for me. I think that's one of the things that you can sometimes struggle to figure out through interviews alone. And having those in-person conversations of just a chat with somebody who'd be at your level in that team is really great. And how how was it? You've been there, we're recording this at the end of December, it'll go out in January, but we're we're end of 2023. Mm -hmm. So you've only been there, what, three months, four months? Yeah, three months. How have you found it so far? It's been great. It's been a real learning curve. And I mentioned this when I talked about the actual world itself earlier, but especially taking that step away from actual pension into investment has been a real steep learning curve um, and an interesting but challenging change and i've honestly loved every second of it i've really enjoyed the work and i've really enjoyed the yeah challenge that it's brought to me and i think that it's a real eye-opener to see that you can kind of change that career and just step into a new role and use the skills that you've learned before to be able to do that um, some of the opportunities have been provided. Um, and I mentioned the uh, LDI role that I had at WCW. So I've now taken that on as a primary role of mine within ISEO. And I think being given that role has been a great opportunity for me as well. So what, tell us about that role, what you're actually yep. doing with that team. Uh, so in probably one of the most simple ways that I can put it, uh, and probably my consultant way of saying it is <laughs> I'm trying to match liabilities with assets. So if I need to pay £10 tomorrow, what can I buy that pays £10 tomorrow? And that's really the simplest way of saying it. Um, and there's a lot of technical backing that goes into it, but that is the best way of putting it. And that, I think, outside of the consultancy, does give me that technical challenge having to consider some of those skills and consider some of those problems that we need to be solving to make sure that that works is incredibly interesting and has allowed me to get some of those coding skills i mentioned earlier more involved as well yeah if if somebody is sitting there and they've got an offer to start their career in pensions consulting and they've got an offer to go into investment consulting I appreciate you've only been in there a few months, but are, are there any sort of differences that you've picked up on that somebody might want to be aware of so they can start to work out what's best for them? So one of the things I've found since I've started is 
excluding the LDI side of things, because that's a more technical role. I think one of the big things is that there's a lot more strategy. I think working on the pensions side of things and working liabilities is you can kind of get into the more technical bits um, and looking at, so for example, looking at assumptions and those kind of things where Mm -hmm. I need to know the real detail. I need to dive into things and make sure that I understand this calculation. Whereas looking at the investment side, I want to look at long-term strategy. I want to understand um, how is this going to impact them for a long time. And I think that's the big difference is you look at things a bit more high level. Still at the junior end, you look at things a bit more high level than you would on the pension side. And they're both great opportunities. I don't want to shy people away from either no, one. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we touched on exams. I, I don't know how far through the exams you are, but in investment consulting, you tend to find that some people do the actuarial exams, others might take other qualifications, um, CFA and and so on. Um, are you intending to qualify or does it sort of change your outlook on, on what you might do qualification-wise? So I'm still intending to qualify. Um, I, well, I, so I passed an exam recently uh, with results coming out. And then, thank you very much. Uh, I am 10 of the way through the 13. So oh, yeah. it's it's definitely something I'd still want to do. But you're right, there is a mix. There is the opportunity to do CFA um, and a few more qualifications if that is something that I had been interested in. So we touched on it earlier and I talked about some of the support you have around you when you're doing the exams. And by no means is that diminished at all within the investment consultancy. But you will find it's a smaller group. There are people sitting CFA exams and there will be primarily CFA exams sat, whereas there's a smaller group of you sitting the uh, the actuarial exams um, and they'll be in different stages. But ISIA itself has a pensions consultancy area as well. So there are a lot of people on that side of the bench that are sitting those actuarial exams and they've still got all of that support there as well. Yeah. When you're two and a half years into your career, what what are the milestones you're aiming for? What are your motivations? Is it is it just getting as much experience as possible? Is it getting qualified? Do you have longer term goals of where you want to be in a few years? I think getting qualified is one of the big ones. I'd hope in the next year or so that I'd be qualified. Um, and that's a big push and a big challenge. But I think that's where I want to be in the next, if you ask me what my time horizon is for the next year, that's where I want to be. Yeah. I think longer term, over the next five years, developing myself within that uh, investment space and picking up a lot more of those skills that and that knowledge that I need to know is definitely where I'm looking. And looking kind of to the future for my clients and what they need as well. What are they going to need in five years and what are they going to need from me? How how do you fit in? You touched on you used to work in a gym. It sounds like gym is still a big part of what you do. How do you fit in that and the other things you do on top of study, on top of work, occasional long hours? Uh, so I do still fit it in. Uh, I compete as a powerlifter, which is my okay. unique selling point. <laughs> my odd <laughs> thing that I do is naturally. Um, and I do still manage to fit it in. And I guess it just, you kind of fit in what you really love and what you'd like to do getting out of bed and going to the gym in the morning, whether that's at 5 a.m. when I've got a long working day or at 5 p.m. when I get to clock up, when I clock off at a normal time, 
I will fit it in where I can and it keeps me going. It's the kind of thing that I make sure that I do to make sure that I can get on with my day and really enjoy it. So I think for the things that you love, you will find time no matter what you do. Yeah, what what does competing look like? For is do you sort of train alone and then you show up for a competition and see what you can lift, or are you you training in team and that sort of thing? Yeah, so it is a lot of solo training. Um, I've got a coach, um, so shout out to Emily, who's my coach, um, and I'll have her supporting me throughout my season um, and building up towards competitions and getting myself into routine, um, putting myself through diets and that kind of stuff as well to make sure that. I'm competing but on the day it's it is slightly odd because you go from being in the gym and there's a lot of people in the gym that you'll be friends with and speak to and spend time with while you're there but it's primarily a solo sport to itself and then you'll get to a competition and there are 50 of you competing on the day and despite the fact that a lot of you will be competing against each other it's a it feels like a team sport almost the amount of cheering and encouragement that goes on through there is incredible um and yeah i love it personally as a sport it's a great it's a great thing for me to be involved in and especially coming from a gym background so how do the categories i'm asking this out of my own interest i don't know if you make it in but how do the categories work is it age is it uh it's weight so i mentioned diet earlier um so they do it by somewhere between five and ten kilo categories so there's a 120 kilo plus category. So anyone who weighs 120 kilos and then it slowly progresses down through the weights down to, I think, sub 54 off the top of my head. That might be wrong. So what do you do? You sort of hover just above the category apart from when it's almost competition. That is the intention, but we're sitting around Christmas right now. So I'm hovering yeah. a bit <laughs> higher than I probably should be. Um, you can sort that out. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. so it, it comes to a, a fairly strict diet towards the competition time. Um, and you work around that and make sure that it fits in. So yeah, mm. you, att- you intend to hover, as you suggest, around what you'd like to be. Yeah. I mean, I haven't been to the gym probably for years, but when I did, I could do the showing up five, six days a week and all that kind of bit. The diet bit, I could... I could easily eat enough protein. What I couldn't do is is limit the number of calories. I've never been able to to do it. I can do it for a couple of days, or you get an app and stick stuff in your phone, and then yeah, no, that side of it, I've really struggled to control. And, and gave it your best shot, but could never manage it. Uh, I just the, the amount of discipline is is impressive to just stick to <laughs> a diet long term. It's um, yeah, I, I just couldn't do it myself. So I'm I'm I'm, I'm envious or jealous or whatever the word is. <laughs> Admittedly, it's one of the things that uh, I've picked up this year. So it has. Uh, it's only a short while that I've been doing it, and okay. I agree, it's a challenge. But yeah. <laughs> what advice would you give to someone who's just starting their their career today? I think one of the things I would say, and I've spoken to people about this, is the biggest challenge is getting your foot in the door. So I think I've demonstrated through the last couple of months that if the if you want to change career or you want to change what you're doing then you can and there are opportunities out there but getting your foot in the door in the first place can be a real challenge and fairly difficult so if you have an opportunity to step into the actual world do it and grab it with both hands it's a great place to be and the people around you are incredible and those that I've worked have been absolutely amazing the other 
bit of advice I'd want to give is make sure you're ready for the exams. They are a big commitment for you and they are a challenge and they will spring on you fast. So make sure you know what you're getting yourself into. Fantastic. Um, I haven't asked this question for a little while, I think, but I'll, I'll ask you, what, what's your view on the future? I guess you can talk about either pensions or investment, the, the, the two are linked, but what will pensions and or investment actuaries be doing in 5, 10, 15 years time? How do you see, how do you see the role evolving? So a lot of people say pensions is dying out and there's they'll be gone in 30 years or 15 years or however long people put in the papers these days. And from especially from an investment side of things, we see new assets popping up and different companies trying to push forward different funds. And they'll be primarily focused on DB investment for long term. So the industry itself doesn't think that it's going anywhere and we'll have the UK primarily has millions and millions of pensioners coming up. So I think there'll be work around for a long time. And I think some of the fears of the pensions world going away anytime soon can be a late. I think long term, there's a big shift towards insurance. And that's where we've seen the market heading over the last five years or so. So that's where I see a lot of my work going towards preparing pension schemes to insure themselves with insurers and progress to that stage of their life. I think that's the big driver right now. And my final question is, what are you looking forward to in the next 12 months? And that can be work, personal, one of each. Personal wise, as we had a quick comment on earlier, I power lift now and I'll be competing hopefully in March. And that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to from a personal perspective. Aren't you doing exams then? You'll, you'll be studying then, won't you? <laughs> I will be doing exams in April. So I'll be driving some study as well as uh, doing that. From a work perspective, I guess having been at the company for three months now um, and kind of got my feet in and settled the ground a little bit, I'm really looking forward to getting a bit more involved on different clients and pushing myself towards a more consulting role having those opportunities to speak to the big team leaders or the clients that i've got and making sure i'm put in face-to-face meetings like that and that's where i'd love to be over the next 12 months fantastic well all that remains to say is thank you so much for for taking the time. It's been really good to to get to know you and to um, learn a bit more about what it's like in the first sort of few years of someone's career. And you know, it's it's obviously entirely possible to move, change your focus, follow what you enjoy. Thank you very much for having me on the uh, show, James. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Actuarial People. Please don't forget to subscribe and consider leaving a review. If you have any questions or feedback or any suggestions for future guests, please contact me on info at actuarialpeople.com. This podcast is sponsored by my recruitment company, Turner Perkins, and you can contact me there at james.turner at turnerperkins.com. Hope to see you again.